Horror on Main, a new weekend convention for the horror community. This is Bram Stoker and Elgin Award-nominated author Jessica McHugh. And I'm hoping you'll join me May 26th through the 28th in Hunt Valley, Maryland, where I'll be a guest of honor and the featured poet at Horror on Main. This convention is like a love letter to the horror community with writers, artists, actors, directors, pretty much anything you could want if you love the horror genre as much as I do. So come on down to Hunt Valley Memorial Day weekend and I'll see you at Horror on Main. See HorrorOnMain.com for details. Looking for your next horror writing podcast fix? The This Is Horror podcast for readers, writers, and creators is the ultimate show for writing advice, tips, and a personal look into the lives of all your favorite authors. This is Horror Podcast. Listen in to long-form conversations with some of the best writers and creatives on the planet. Over 400 episodes with masters of horror such as Joe R. Lansdale, Chuck Palahniuk, Josh Mallerman, Joe Hill, Charlene Harris, Craig Clevenger, Ellen Datlow, Kathy Koja, and many more. The This Is Horror Podcast. Listen in at www.thisishorror.com. That's the This Is Horror Podcast for readers, writers, and creators. The Curator will see you now. Are you looking for conversations with some of the hottest names in horror today, like Eric LaRocca, Haley Piper, Clay McLeod Chapman, Laurel Hightower, Jamie Flanagan, and Allie Wilkes, along with indie horror superstars like Brianna Morgan and Joe Coach, then you should tune in to Terrifying Tones of Terror with your host, the curator of horror, Chance Forshe, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I am Erica T. Worth, author of the indigenous literary horror uh, novel White Horse, which is out now with Flatiron Macmillan. And it is about Carrie, who is an urban Indian woman who loves heavy metal and loves horror, but despises her mother because she believes that her mother abandoned her when she was two days old. And when her uh, her cousin Debbie discovers an ancient bracelet of her mother's and uh, Carrie touches the bracelet, um, her mother's ghost begins to haunt Carrie and a monster invades her dreams. And Carrie decides that she needs to find out what happened to her mother after all. Um, and some of the inspiration for this novel is urban Indian life in Denver, Colorado. And it's also just, you know, my love of heavy metal and horror, which was something where I went to school in Idaho Springs, people loved. And it's also a love song to old Denver. Yeah, you look like you have a cold. I saw you wiping your nose. I'm all red. Oh, well, you look great. Okay. Oh, tis I the believe season. in you. Oh, it should be noted oh, that you're on a roll. It should be noted that my head got dinged up today while I was working on something. So, oh, so uh, you have a cold and a concussion. This is going to go great. I don't have a concussion, but <laughs> I had a baby gay fall on my head. So that's <laughs> um, I mean, that's not funny, but I can't stop laughing at that. I'm sorry. No, it's okay to laugh at it. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Dead Head Space. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hello, Brennan. Hello, everybody. 
<laughs> I'm very excited to introduce you all to a familiar guest. She was first on season one. She was a guest host with Chuck Wendig two weeks ago. This is Mercedes M. Yardley. Say hello, Mercedes. Hello. And uh, it's been so long. So you were, <laughs> you you came on season one uh, when we were super new. We were baby podcasters. Um, what have you been up to since then? <laughs> that was for a reminder, by the way, in all seriousness, that was when uh, Arterial Bloom, the anthology through Crystal Lake that you edited, that's when that was fairly new. So it's been, I saw your post. Um, three years? Three, Yeah, three is that right? Well, the cover reveal was in three three years ago, so less than that. Wow. Definitely somewhere in that time span. <laughs> time <laughs> flies. So that's when the world was fresh with a new pandemic, and uh, we were just starting to become friends, and I want to hear about anything you want to talk about. We can obviously cover Darling, because there's a lot to cover there, but uh, your recent book. But um, what are some things that come to mind? since your last your first solo episode boy i'll see that was that was it's only three years that was during the (laughs) pandemic um the pandemic i just want everyone to know that the pandemic um the u.s shut down on my birthday so it was friday the 13th it was my birthday i was sad because i had plans that night i was gonna go i don't know do do old people stuff um you fun stuff. Yeah, so I've been writing. I finished another novel since then that's being shopped around right now. Um I have a short story collection that's also being shopped around that I finished since then. And um I've been working on the um Pretty Little Dead Girls graphic novel with my um artist Orion Zangara. So that the first volume of that will actually be uh released to the backers, the PDF version probably before Christmas. He's, we're really, really close. So, um, oh. and short stories here and there. One that came out in, um, there's a Baba Yaga anthology. And then there's one called Mother. I had a story called Fracture about a girl who was uh, made of glass, except for a human heart. And it's sweet and sad, you know, as most things are. And that's awesome. so been writing, been doing stuff, learned how to play the guitar a little bit. I mean, that's that's about it. I, um, I, I think it's worth publicly making it announced that I said Mercedes nickname for me to her is going to be morbid mother because of her content in the uh, stories that she writes on top of that. She's got a very motherly love for her friends, for her family and, and really in your stories too. Like I me mean, being a parent, there's a lot of sad moments for good reasons and for bad. I mean, for the extreme cases of like death or really bad situations or yeah, you know, just sad moments where, yeah, your kid's growing up. They're doing really well, maybe. And uh, it's just sad that they're not, they're a little baby and you're, they're everything. Um, Brendan, please jump in before I say something silly. You know, all I can think, we we just mentioned a couple times that, hey, it's been over two years, maybe three. We can't seem to nail that down since we had you on. And I remember very clearly having a conversation. I think I'm, I, I think I'm quoting you directly here that during the pandemic, so many people showed their uglies and isn't it so nice to see that, you know, that changed in the last two years. Um, I, I don't know I, if you're being you sarcastic know. or not, my friend. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm not, I'm not. Um, Try reading that just, in text message. I know <laughs> it just seems like, you know, the, 
everything that was a little bit surprising, you know, back then uh, about the way that people treated each other when we had this opportunity to come together only compounded and any, any glimpse we got a humanity of like, Hey, let's band together and let's get through this is just so short lived, but that's depressing. Um, I, I kind of want to ask about, you know, your production. We talked about, you know, your, your process and how much writing you got done, you know, towards the beginning. But as this kind of became, I hate to throw out the word normal, but like, it's not going to change, you know, our, our, this dark cloud looming overhead doesn't seem to be moving particularly quickly. How did your production change? How did your writing change? Um, I haven't written in about a year. I had the most intense writer's block. Um, I couldn't write no joy. The good thing about writing is you work things take so long to come out that I'm working on, you know, so darling released, but I hadn't written on it in years, (laughs) in years, you know? So, um, I did, I had about a year's worth of writer's block and was just miserable because that's how I process. That's how I think that's what makes me happy. And so I've really been struggling. And, um, I went home to visit for Halloween. I took my kids to my parents' house, which is in a small town. And we went trick-or-treating in like a real Americana small town where we knew the neighbors and they all give like full-size candy bars. And it's just kind of, it was really nice to not be in Las Vegas and to be somewhere where they knew my kids. And my dad um, took me for a motorcycle ride, which is how I grew up, right? And so we we hopped on his motorcycle and we like just drove around and um I'm, I was working, I've actually finished the second book to my nameless trilogy and I just hated it. And, um, but part of it takes place in my parents, my hometown on a, on, and it's the girl on a motorcycle. Right. And we're driving around all these places and it just started my wheels kicking in my head because this is where like the scene takes place that I wrote about. This is where the scene takes place that I wrote about. And, and I hopped off the bike and I ran in and I wrote for the first time in like a year. I wrote down two scenes just straight in that book, just boom, boom. I could see where they were going and, and it kickstarted me. So I started writing again about Halloween weekend, you know, um, it, it's been miserable. It's been really hard. It's, uh, not been super great and I'm not super impressed with the way that people are treating each other and themselves, but I am finding that it's helping me to kind of let go of the refuse, like the, the, the people that are not helping me, the people that are dragging me down, I've managed to kind of step away from people that I don't need to see that. I don't need to be on Twitter, which, you know, (laughs) we already talked how crazy that is. You know, I don't need to be on these things. I'm able to step back and that's been really nice. So I'm kind of learning a little bit of self-protection there from, from the pandemic. Like I don't have to be involved in all this stuff. Very cool. Yeah. That self-protection. I mean, like self-care, self-protection, whatever you want to call it, if you want to put those in the same category or completely separate them. I mean, it's just, it's, it's become such a beyond important skill into like a vital skill of it's a survival skill really, because you just can't, if your mental health goes down the crapshoot, then you cannot function on a day-to-day basis. You know, um, I, I wonder how, you know, when you did sort of crack that mold and got some words to come back, 
you know, I find that I, I love writing every day and when for whatever reason life or whatever, you know, gets in the way of that, I feel just like off, like, you know, a part of my routine has, has gone missing and getting back into it almost has this, you know, I, I hate to call it a high, but like just this feeling of relief, this feeling of the lifting of weight, like, okay, the world is right again. How, if you don't write for a year, how relieving is that feeling for it to come back and for the words to flow forth again? Uh, so, so relieving. Like I, uh, my friends, I was posting some pictures of my friends and my friends are like, look at you just grinning. Look at you smiling. Look, you're back. Look how happy you look. And it was like, it's, it's showing on my face, you know, but there's also that fear. Like, well, I didn't write for a year before. Is that going to happen again? And I, I try not to be so negative, but that's how I'm built. I'm always waiting for the other shoe to fall, you know? So I'm like, okay, well, I'm writing now. I'm going to enjoy that as much as I can. Cause who knows how long it's going to last. But there's also that, well, I went through this drought, which was the worst writing drought I've had in my entire life and career, and it still came back. So I, I know that it can come back in the future, but yeah, it did. I'll, I'll use the word high. It feels like a high. It feels like getting yourself back. It feels like, you know, this is such a big part of my personality and an aspect of who I am to have that missing. I felt like I was deflated, you know, and just kind of going through the motions and really sad, you know, and really depressed. Like my, I deal with depression, clinically depressed, really open about it. It's been a hard year. And I don't know if it's, I'm, I was so sad that I couldn't write or I couldn't write and that made me sad, but it was, it's very much linked for me. That's my, that's my therapy. That's my happiness and joy. You know, that's my self-care. And if I'm not writing, then I'm, I'm suffering and I'm struggling and to sit there and like, I would write, you know, I will write a sentence and I'd write that sentence. And it was the stupidest, worst sentence in the whole world. And I could cobble together, you know, 200 really bad, awful sentences. And I mean, I wrote, but it didn't, it didn't feel like writing. There was none of that, you know, magic there, that creation. It was just like, look, I pat, I Frankenstein something together and I'm miserable. So, but now I, I'm really happy about it. Writing just, it just, it makes me sing. There's, there's no, there's nothing like it. Hmm. I can, you know, that's amazing. I can definitely relate to some extent. I took, you know, you guys know, I took six months off and uh, for personal reasons and feels cathartic coming back to it. So it makes me very happy to hear that that you uh, feel good too. I did look into the date of the release date for your episode. It was July 20th, 2020. So that's uh, two years and four months ago. Wow. So. I mean, yeah, not three years, but that's still pretty damn close. <laughs> uh, it was episode 20, and we didn't release video episodes back then because I was looking at the YouTube page, and we put those up, uh, I think, like a year later. Yeah, you were right. You were right after we had this guy named Matt Light on, who's a comedian that did this wrestling, like an indie wrestling league or whatever. And Doug Bradley was a part of it. <laughs> he was a character in it for like a limited time. Uh, Brent Brennan rolled with it with me. He's like a comedian. What the, okay, <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing with this? <laughs> did I record that in my pajamas? 
Yes, or, you were in your uh, okay your pumpkin pajamas. Yeah, they were awesome. So we have a question from Chad Lutsky. Awesome segue. Oh, Chad. Thanks, Brennan. So Chad says, rumor has it, <laughs> rumor has it, there may one day be a revamping of Detritus in Love with Joe John, not Joe John Bowden. Will this ever happen? Also, I worry about her in the desert, surrounded by scorpions, and I wish she'd move. I don't know where he wishes he moved to, but just move. He, he wants me to be scorpions. his next door neighbor. Yeah, Michigan. I just want to be next door to Chad. That What's, would be great. Hey, what state does he live in? Michigan. Oh, right, right. Okay, yeah. He he lives in the area where uh, Post and Kellogg started. Very right. few scorpions in Michigan. <laughs> Unless the band goes there. Don't that joke go ahead mercedes answer the silly question yes detritus in love we would love to kind of expand on that um that's a really cool novella that uh john and i wrote together um and we would like to kind of flip it on its head and make it make a whole second part to that so we just need to kind of get our our uh, ducks in a row which <laughs> john and i are like herding cats like we're both like oh let's do this someday okay we but that was that was by far the best collaboration that I worked on. That was so fun to do. So yes, a whole second part. I can't believe I didn't know that you guys worked on a book together. That's pretty awesome. It is so fun and dreamy and weird. Yeah, detritus and love. Detritus is the name of the main character. His mother named him Trash. So <laughs> that's what detritus means. <laughs> that mom sucks. So we got. <laughs> it does. Yeah. <laughs> got another question. From, hey, uh, real quick before we go on, um, I want to I want to follow up on that. Um, it, it seems to me like a lot of like John Bowden does a lot of collaborations, which leads me to believe that he is good to collaborate with. And you, you know, kind of confirm that by saying so. Um, so, I mean, what was the process like? I and mean, you don't have to you know, go into other specifics, but like in comparison to other uh, collaborations you've done, what made John special? Um. His writing is beautiful. Absolutely yes, beautiful. <laughs> and uh, the whole reason I wanted to write this story with him is he had showed me this part where this this girl, her name is Blank. She's dead. And a debt is like talking to this dead girl, Blank, and he licks the rain from her hair. And I'm like, that is the line that sold me. I want to work on this forever. <laughs> wait, wait, what? <laughs> There's rain on. He just licks the rain off her hair. <laughs> the, and I'm like. Name trash? Yeah, detritus. Yes. Holy shit! I gotta read this book. It's it's beautiful. Yes, it's wonderful. And um, and I uh, smoke weed with Mercedes one day. <laughs> I'm just talking about this shit. <laughs> but John has no ego, so we didn't uh, outline anything. It was like I would write a section and send it to him, and then he'd write a section and send it back, and we just kind of bounced off of each other. There wasn't like you know, the concept of the story was all his, he had the characters, he had all this. And he wasn't like, I don't want her to do that. Or I don't want this. We would just write it and send it back and forth. And that was it. I mean, it was, it was a dream and very low pressure. It was like, cause we're right working on our own thing. So it was also like, send it to me when you get it to me. Not, mm -hmm. I need this like right away. It was, it was, it was, a, it was a pleasure. It was a treat to work on it. I would reward myself from getting my other work done by allowing myself to work on detritus and love. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was it was awesome. When did that come Very out? Very cool. What? We, when did that come out? Was that a while ago? Yeah, I about five years ago I read from it at the Stokers in um California, but the only place you can find it now, they took it off every place except the publisher's uh 
website. So we're going to try and get the rights back so that we can just put it out somewhere else. Cause it's just kind of like, we did this book and they're like, okay, done. We're done. You know, <laughs> no promotion. That's at the end. Oh my God. So. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. Hope you guys get it. I would love to buy a copy when that is available. Not from them. But they sell dicks. We got a question from Steve who runs, I don't know. Apologies. I don't know his last name. He is the host of Steve talks books. Yes. Have you ever had a paranormal experience? If so, did it inspire one of your books or stories? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I've had quite a few paranormal exper- experiences and some of them are really uh, scary. Um, but I have a book called Nameless, The Darkness Comes, and that was inspired by the the, the villain in that was inspired by uh, this thing, this shadow that my daughter used to say would come into her room and talk to her. And, um, it, we were, uh, actually someone came into our house and like burgled us one Christmas and kind of brought something with them. And, um, she said that this shadow thing would stand, she called it the tiptoe shadow. And she said it it stands up and it bends wrong and it talks to me. And she'd say, she'd like show how it would bend to talk to her. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, Mercedes. I hate that so much. Yeah. So do I. It's so bad. And she said he had really teeny tiny feet and he was way too tall. And he would Lady, stop talking. <laughs> so fucked up. It's nighttime here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's nighttime here too. And she was just little. She was like maybe four years old or so. Oh my God. And so I wrote a story where we fought the tiptoe shadow, you know, so that, but yeah, I mean, she would tell me about it. And I just felt go myself go cold. She started sleeping in her brother's room yeah, in his bottom bunk because she's like, he doesn't come in the room when Nico and my son has special needs and is autistic and has Williams syndrome and very light and bright. And she's like, he can't tiptoe shadow can't come in Nico's room. So she's in, in your there story once, once. What is that in your story? I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you. Um, no, that's not. That's not. Um, not sleeping in the room, but the tiptoe shadow is, and yeah, you'll see a lot of experiences in my books that I just couch as fiction, but just, yeah, we, we should talk sometime. Yeah. I'm just thinking, I'm focusing on, uh, your son. I think that's beautiful. Um, that your son who is obviously he's pure, you know, he is pure. He's not corrupt. He's uncorruptible. And He's the light. He's what a demon. I'm going to say demon. He's what a demon doesn't go towards because that's the light. Like, I hope you write about that eventually because that's truly beautiful. And it's fucking terrifying, but it's really cool because it also has a lot of hope in it that like, even though not, not again, nothing against your, your sweet little girl, but like someone with autism, you know, they're the light and that's pretty, pretty powerful. Yeah. He has a, he has a bubble. He has a bubble and, and she would just, she would just bring, we just put a little mattress there and she just slept under, you know, on the the bottom bunk. And she's like, he just, he can't come here. He can't come in this room. He can't come in Nico's room when, when Nico's here. So we did a lot of stuff to help her feel better and feel secure in her room. But I, she had me check her room for a long time. You know, she's like the tiptoe shadow could be there. And it just, (laughs) it just freaked me out. Well, damn kid, I don't want to go in there then. Ah, the tiptoe shadows in there, you know. Run, child, run. Jimmer. And she said he has a squeaky voice, mom. What the hell? Yeah, and I'm all like, worse. <laughs> did you guys ever see the movie Boogeyman? No. 
I just muted myself. Not Boogeyman. Uh, Darkness Falls. No. No. Darkness Falls came out in the, uh, I want to say the early aughts, but basically the beginning, if I'm remembering it correctly, the mom, I'm pretty sure the mom or dad checks in to see the Boogeyman and then they get killed when when it's in like the closet or some dark area. It was terrifying. They call uh, the Boogeyman is, uh, and that one's a tooth fairy. Um, You should check it out sometime. It's it's no, I don't want to. It's pretty <laughs> terrifying. Um, there was another question, but Brennan, while real quick, that. while you find it, um, I always keep this drawing right here because someday I'm going to work this into a book. But my uh, youngest son had had a dream one time, and he drew this. So for audio, oh, listeners, those fingers! Yeah, I know, <laughs> Mister Mystery, this is the Mind Devourer who is a Freddy Krueger-like, you know, shadow figure with these terrifying, like, claw. Oh, I just, I just don't like it. And he just sat there and talked about it. And I like, I scribbled down all these notes. Cause like, this is, this is a book. This is, <laughs> sorry, man. I'm totally going to mind your pain. <laughs> <laughs> <You're right. laughs> That's what kids are for. Like, yeah, Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, no, they're 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 my uh, when my creativity well runs dry, I just go chat with them, and they uh, they they flood the gates. <laughs> yeah, so, well, their lives are little horrors too, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, things are so scary to them, like going down the hall to go to the bathroom in the dark. Mm-hmm. You know, just things that the things that they they fight the things that it takes for my youngest daughter to like come down from the top bunk down the ladder and go through and go through the bathroom. And then it's dark and the sound of the toilet scary. And, and she's telling me the story about how she like went to the bathroom in the dark. And I'm like, you were so brave. You fought that, you know what I mean? Like, but she did it. You know, she does. <laughs> she's so courageous, these things. And she's talking about how she's feeling the wall. Cause she can't turn on the lights and she can feel what the wall feels like and how cold it is. But she, you know, and I'm like, wow, you're brave and that you're a hero in your own story. <laughs> um, I had a brain fart. So my, you were looking my, up another question. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know if you found it. Well, I was just going to say when with Philip, my little guy, he, um, he keeps saying that's, that's scary, but he says it to stuff that don't make sense. So we're finding out slowly that what he really means is something else in a lot of other situations. So we're trying to figure out like if he's actually scared, like at night when he wants to sleep in our bed, if he's actually scared, just, I don't want to sleep there because he likes to be a little snuggle bug. Um, it's just a uh, pretty, there was this one time daytime. He brought us up into his bedroom, but it was just me. And I was kind of getting chills because he was like really terrified to go in there. And I brought him in because I'm like, what's scaring you in here? Like, is it this toy? Is it that toy? And it was just like this little innocent looking like bug thing. And it was on a card. And in that moment with how how scared he was, I just got so creeped out by it. It it was like, well, what if that is, you know, what if that's possessed? It's not, but... It's that you know of that I like know, fear that's true. is catching fear is contagious you know mm, yeah and then 
when you, when you look at all these old stories in these books, it's like these kids are scared and they tell their parents and the parents are like, oh, there's nothing going on. And then the parents get murdered because there was something going on. I always swore <laughs> that I would never be the mom that was like, oh, whatever, you know, mom, there's someone hiding in my closet. Oh, whatever. Get over it. And there's a serial killer in there. You know, I'm yep. not going to be that parent, but then you don't want to like feed into it either. Like, yeah, there's someone in your closet, kid, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Damn right. Better eat your vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> so we got one more question from this, uh, from Joshua Macmillan. Uh, there's a lot to it. Two part question. For, and I'll just ask the first question first and then the second one, because the second one's pretty long. First question. Where does Mercedes see the horror and dark fiction genres going next? That's super vague. So take it in any That's direction. Good question, you want. though. I it love is. it. I, I love that question. So my my favorite thing right now is I feel like horror, and I felt like this for a couple of years, is like in this beautiful like renaissance. Um, there's so much of it. It's becoming mainstream. It's it's losing the stigma that it had. Like, you know, smile. We all went and saw smile. It grossed a bunch, you know. We all saw hereditary or heard about hereditary. So movies, books. TV shows, American Horror Story, right? Everyone's heard about it. It's a cultural icon. Um, it's kind of coming out of the, the shadows and is being more accepted. And I like that a lot. Um, so I see it becoming even bigger. I see horror myself personally as kind of a healing thing. Because um, I think it's healthy when we all get together and talk about what scares us. I think it's bonding I think like when y'all think back to sitting around campfires and telling scary stories, those are like some of the best times and best memories of, you know, girls camp or childhood or with your cousins or whatever. So I like that. And I think it's bonding. I think it's going to become more mainstream, more acceptable, a um, little more, I don't want to say elevated horror because that's kind of a really snobby phrase. I think, you know, different horrors slashers and splatter punk and things like that not aren't my cup of tea personally but definitely have their value we were just talking about stephen graham jones you know my heart is a chainsaw and it's all about slashers and this girl that's obsessed with slashers and that's how she like uh sees things and how she he, she puts her world in order is like this is what happens in a slasher movie and this is you know so it has its own value but i think we're going to see more horror like um nope and us and all these things that are addressing you know racism and all these different important things i i i think we're using horror as a lens to examine things that we were afraid to examine before so i think i think it's gonna I, there's gonna be so much of it it's gonna be glorious it's gonna be grand <laughs> well, and, I, and I, that's such a good observation because my first thought was well isn't that what horror has always been um, is a way to kind of like examine social events. But I feel like in that it wasn't always super obvious that you could, you know, kind of, um, you know, enjoy, say, Night of the Living Dead for what it was um, or for what it was on a surface level and, you know, kind of gloss over any social commentary that it had. Whereas whether you credit it to social media, the internet, or just the fact that the world is a little more on fire and the commentary is a little more overt now in movies like, you know, say Get Out, um, that it is that lens, but everybody knows that it's that lens. Um, so, no, I mean, no real question. I just, I, I think that's a really interesting observation. Yeah, well, well, I no. think that's a great comment. Like, I feel like 
it's it's getting the respect that it deserves finally mm-hmm. you know it used to be oh i watch horror and it, and it was you were immediately dismissed oh you're the weirdo mm-hmm. that watches horror you know and now it's like <laughs> i'm the weirdo that watches horror but it has important things to say and we're going to talk about it and there's like a whole slew of us you know it's reaching people and audiences that it never did before it's not being pushed aside and i i just think that's amazing it's about was, time yeah when i was selected as a juror they asked like what you do in your spare time and i I thought it was going to get me off because I don't want to <laughs> do that shit. And I said, I, I pretty much read and write. And they said, well, what do you read and write? I read and write horror and true co- true crime. And I thought that was going to get me off. And they're like, okay, next. <laughs> then meaning the next person has to answer questions. And they ended up selecting me. Um, so they're like, this I, is an I, open-minded I, man. <laughs> I feel like, feel like maybe a few years ago that would have changed. Uh, and something else tidbit i want to see if you guys can relate i used to get because i collected a a boatload of dvds you know when blockbuster was still the main way to rent stuff and um pre-streaming world i used to get my horror movies at circuit city like they always at least in my area they oh and it's brennan's area too so maybe brennan you can comment or not but for some reason they would always have without having to order them, special order them, they would always have, like, all the sequels for Friday the 13th or, or p- pictures that I couldn't find anywhere else, like, in major chain stores or whatever. So I would always go to Circuit City to get, like, to get whatever I wanted to... Uh, I'm sorry about that fucking motorcycle. Is that me? I didn't hear anything. Maybe. I may have had one out here, too. I thought you guys heard that. I heard it on my mic. I was just gonna say that Circuit City was the place that I love to go to to get all these book uh, movies, and I'm wondering, like, where where did you guys go when you were in the mood to buy a movie or rent one? Oh, geez. Well, I grew up in a small LDS town, so uh, where everyone was, you know, from the Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints, which are commonly known as Mormons. So, like, you didn't get it. <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> it was hard to get. Um, and you, uh, I remember we rented an uh, interview with a vampire and my friend that was old enough to rent it, rented it. And then the person at the video store called my mom and said like, hey, this guy rented this for and your your daughter's watching it. And she's underage. So like, you know, it, so it was weird sucky. to get, get up. Yeah, it was, it was really sucky. It was really kind of invasive. But um, renting things. um and I really wasn't allowed to watch a lot of horror, allowed. I, I didn't really watch a lot of horror until I got older because it wasn't accessible to me. Some things were like Poltergeist, you know, it was PG-13. We weren't allowed to watch rated R movies, right? So Poltergeist was PG-13. Um, Jaws was PG. So, I mean, we got to watch that. <laughs> right? Yeah, Jaws was PG. Um, so it wasn't until I was older and went to college and was able to just, you know, descend upon Blockbuster mm. and watch all these things. So I have, I still have like, huge gaps in my horror movie education i've never seen a single friday the 13th um they're fun what they're they're fun Fun. to watch yeah i mean i really like jason Voorhees as a character we have a whole bunch of his like magnets and hats and stuff but i've never seen them or or nightmare on elm street or the horror that i've seen is the newer ones that have come out i haven't ever gone back to go see the old ones you know because i just there's so much new coming out but it was it was hard it was hard to obtain for me. Mm. And we didn't have a lot of like TV stations that they were on. We didn't have, 
you know, HBO or anything like that, really, because it was super remote and we didn't have stuff like that. So I, my horror was all books. I read. That's where I found my horror. Nothing wrong with that. No, absolutely not. But uh, videos, TV, cinema, not really. I still haven't seen The Exorcist. I read the book. I loved the book. The book's better. The movie's good, but the book's so much better. The book was really charm, like surprisingly charming. Like the language of the book was very almost whimsical in a way. And I was like, oh, I didn't expect this. So it made it kind of scarier because it's like, oh, here's this actress, da 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 da. And you're like, so. I like how I like how graphic it got specifically for the fact of how like fucked up the demon is supposed to be and the battle between you know good and evil. I mean, you absolutely get that message in the movie, but what was in the book with what the possessed girl does? You're not gonna shoot. I mean, you're probably not even gonna film that nowadays. It's just right for obvious reasons. Right. Well, and that the priest was so sure that it was psychological at first. I yeah. assumed he would be absolutely, oh, demon, 100%. But he was like, oh, I'm pretty sure this is psychological. That was kind of, I liked that. And I really like the idea of, you know, mental health and like um, what Paul Tremblay's The Head Full of Ghosts, mm-hmm. where it's, it's, you know, is it a demon? Is it psychological? Is it, I love that question. Right. Same movie question, man. I, I lucked out because I, um, I, you know, from birth to, you know, college, um, I lived in the same house, uh, which was a block away from a video store. And it was various video stores throughout the years, you know, from mom and pop to it ended up being, um, uh, Hollywood video when I was, you know, older teens, um, and the mom and pop videos would, you know, we'd, I'd go over there with friends at, you know, 10 or 11 years old and they'd rent us whatever they didn't care. Um, but kind of like Mercedes, I, I have that kind of gap in my viewing history too. Like, you know, I've, I've seen the odd Friday the 13th. Uh, I've, I've seen some of the nightmare on Elm streets, but definitely not all. Um, and it was, it was less because, you know, well, it was the opposite of, you know, your reasoning because you, they weren't available. It was more because they were available and it was like, it, it almost kind of like lost its charm because there was no, I feel like there's so much, we've talked to so many people who, you know, uh, you know, rent those, you know, rent those DVDs, borrow them from like, you know, the cool uncle and like play them quietly on their TV after everybody's gone to sleep that it's like, if nobody cares if you if you're watching it it's like oh okay well i don't whatever i'll just watch the simpsons i guess because nobody cares if i'm you know watching texas chainsaw massacre (laughs) but uh and then you know i ended up working at that hollywood video um through college um and yeah oh man that was a job um that was out, out of you know there's no good retail jobs let's face it but that's definitely one of the better ones and um i think you know my ridiculously extension extensive dvd collection is mostly just like kind of like stuff that went out for rental and then went up for sale and i grabbed it for like a couple bucks um oh man i just a lot of good memories working at hollywood video uh let's talk about darling 
because as you know, Mercedes that hit me personally at a at the most fucked up time of my life. Um, I don't think I mentioned this on the show. My wife and I had a well, my wife had a miscarriage two months uh, pregnant, and I just happened to read Mercedes' book that would have been hard to read before that, but while that was I'm happening, <laughs> it's not your fault. It hit in a lot of good ways because uh, I can't speak for every horror reader, but like I enjoyed it. And it wasn't like hard to read in the sense where I I, I was offended or put it down or whatever. Um, it was just you know it, it, that's my that's that's what I get magnetized to is is like horrible things that happen to families. That's pretty much if we were talking about themes. If we had a theme as a writer, Cena Palio brought it up last episode. Mine would be dead kids <laughs> or or like basically r-rated pixar movies because <laughs> there's always a dead parent <laughs> so uh why don't you tell us potential readers what darling is about yeah well darling is a southern gothic novel and it is dark um my favorite review for it and she gave it five stars which i loved but she said if you're reading this review in order to find for trigger to look for trigger warnings don't even bother with this book because it has like every trigger warning out there, but it's about a, I will show you my copy of it. It's a, Oh, I won't show you my copy of it because I have a background. <laughs> You'll try real hard though. <laughs> I'll just disappear completely. Um, <laughs> it's about this um, girl that got pregnant at 16 years old and she and her, her boyfriend or husband um, left the, left the town of Darling, Louisiana and the son was born and he had special needs and her husband just left her in the dust. And so eventually she has another child and um, her mother dies and she hated her mother. Her mother was quite cruel. And um, she ends up going back to Darling to take over the house because her mother had left her this house and she was destitute. And so she goes back there and um, Oh, someone just texted me and asked if I liked pumpkin. Okay. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> so, um, so she was um, back in this hometown and there's just an evil in the town. And that's one of, that's one of my themes is kind of small towns that are evil and have this kind of eating each other alive thing. Um, meanwhile, pieces of children are showing up in this town. There's a killer that's going around killing children and then her daughter goes missing. Her daughter's quite young. So, um, and it's all about her trying to find her daughter and this town where just bad things happen, like the evils, like creeping out of the soil. It has a little bit of a paranormal aspect to it, but mostly it's just people being monsters to each other. So I like it a lot. It's a really, it was a hard book to write. It was a, a, a very personal book to write and uh, based on some, some kind of true things that had happened, you know, in a way. And uh, I think it's one of my best books. That's fair. That's really fair. Brian, I want to hear you first, sir, please. The, you know what? I want to start with this. Um, you know, Patrick mentioned that, you know, you had been on an early episode in season one, you had been on with Chuck uh, but you've been on a couple time uh, other times, and you know notably is the episode uh, "Find the Torch, Burn the Plans," where you came on with uh, R.J. Joseph and Cena Palayo and Tyler Jones. 
uh, to talk about being a horror writer while also being a parent to a child who is disabled. Um, and there was a line in this book that when I hit it, I got stuck there. Um, and I, I want to read it right now. I, I'm so sorry because I didn't write it down. I think it's the character Malachi who says this, but he says, did yourself some damage. Did you even stop to think for a minute about putting on shoes before you went running through broken glass? And the image of having the image of running through broken glass before even having the thought flutter through your mind to put on shoes to protect yourself is such an amazing representation of, you know, uh, of, of what, you know, the character in the book goes through uh, having that disabled child. And I mean, it's that, <laughs> running through broken glass without putting on shoes. I mean, that's the, that's the Mercedes M Yardley uh, autobiography title. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I just, I kind of want to hear your thoughts on that line. Was that, was that something that just like came out and you, you know, that's just you and, you know, or it, was it something that, you know, you, I guess, put a lot of thought into. I I've done that that was based on a true experience where my son had uh, gotten dropped something and there was glass and I just ran through it because I knew that he wouldn't know to not step on it. Um, Writing about, I mean, that's that character. Jonah is absolutely based on my son. Uh, He has Williams syndrome. He has autism. Um, Those are his actions. That's how he acts. The, the stimming, the washers and dryers, the fizzy hair. Um, my son is not on oxygen like Jonah is when he gets upset, but he does have the same, his lips will turn blue. He'll, I, I just, I wrote my child. Um, and it was cathartic, but also very painful to see, to write him and see how other people see him, how, how the other characters see him in the book. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a real experience. I, I, that was another one I wanted to ask is about the, the washer and dryer thing. Cause it just, it seemed so specific that I, I did wonder if that was, yeah. you know, a fascination um, from real life. Yeah. And that's, it, it that's comes across with that authenticity. Yeah. I, I just, I wanted, I just wanted to write him truthfully and I was a little, um, so you should never read your own reviews uh, of, of your own books. And I read a review that just kind of really uh, bothered me where someone said like, this child was a prop. We don't even know, you know, this child was like just a, this disabled kid to like be a prop in the story. We don't even know what, what the kid's diagnosis is. And someone else was really upset that like he didn't, you know, this child should be in school and all disabled children have the opportunity to go to school, but this child wasn't. And I'm like, you've never been so tired. You can't get your kid in school. <laughs> you've, you know, and her, her, her daughter's missing. I don't think she's going to be putting her child in school. And, um, my son, when he was in kindergarten was abused by his teacher in school, which we didn't find out until later. I think we've discussed that and how painful that was. And like, it's hard for me to not take things like that personally when I'm like, this is my kid. This isn't mm-hmm. a problem. This is what it's, this is my son. This is what our life is like. Um, much better. I have a, a wonderful husband that's very supportive, but the way that people look at him, you know, the way that people call him about, you know, the R word or the way that people say these things. Um, I wanted that to be authentic. 
And yeah, I and wanted him to be a character that's important that has a disability is and and is important without being like a savant, you know, like yeah, you know. Again, with that authenticity. Now we had um, we had someone on the other last week who was talking about um, writing a disabled character, and she said that she hopes that she's done it respectfully. It's the first time she's tried to do it in her work. It's she hopes she's done it respectfully. And she hopes that, you know, it will be well received. And, you know, the thought that kind of came to me is just that notion that special special needs parents know, um, especially, you know, in the community of special needs parents about just how different every experience is, that there is no uh, there is no writing the autistic experience there because because every child with that disability is so different and has their own you know characteristics and traits and quirks and what have you. Uh, there is no writing the Williams syndrome experience because every you know every child is is different. Um, and I think that you know like when, as soon as you started quoting that review, all I could think is you don't know you don't know my kid like. Um, is that you can write from that authentic place and someone isn't going to like that. And, you know, to your point, don't read your own reviews because fuck them, you know, they, <laughs> they have formed their opinion yeah. and it's, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and that, that person I'm talking about was Sina. And she also said the, in a totally different um, part of the interview, she said, the artist is never wrong. You know, people can interpret your work the way they want. That's fine. You once you put it out there, that's their God-given right. But the artist is never wrong. You know, if you have written this child as a, a mirror of you know your life um, and your experiences, then your experiences is is is, is valid. Um, and now I'm just on a tangent because I feel that so hard. So an actual question. Um, when I wrote my first book, I had an autistic character and I had, you know, the, the, <laughs> there is no dirtier word in my house than the R word. That is, that is 100% a word we do not tolerate from friends, family, anything like that. And I struggled to put it in my book. And even though I understood the context I was using it in, I really, really struggled. I put it in, I took it out, I put it in, I took it out. And I, I wonder uh, if you would mind sharing your thought process because you you do you do use it in this book and you use it in a context that makes sense. So uh, that that word makes me ill. Um, it makes me ill because I feel like in this day and age, you can't say it and not know that you're doing something bad. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I know. Yeah, it was the same thing. I didn't I didn't want to say it. Um, I didn't want to put it in there. But then I thought about it and I'm like, I own that word. I can say that word. I've had that word said to my child. Um, I remember being in line at a grocery store once and he was, he was, you know, probably about two years old and he was kind of just shaking his head and kind of having fun. And this woman came up to me and asked, well, is he this? <laughs> and I, you know, she almost caught hands. It, like it, it was. Mm. It was so painful. And we had just barely got out of the hospital. Like that day he'd been in the hospital for like two weeks. Cause he'd been so ill and all these things. And I'm like, we need to get food. How dare you? You know, like you don't even know the pain and, and all these things and how scared he is. And that's what you see. You don't see this like 
beautiful, strong, amazing boy that lives through things you wouldn't be able to live through. It has experiences you wouldn't be able to deal with. And you're asking, and that was what she asked, you know, and it, it was confrontational and it was like, she was kind of upset that he was in her space. So I wanted to use that word to I hope it hurt. I hope people read it and it hurts. I hope it cuts and they feel the weight of it and they see what that experience is like um, and what it's like to have someone you love called that to maybe think about if you're calling someone that just don't, that is a, that is a loaded word. Don't, don't use that word, you know? And so as a creator and an artist, yeah, I really, I really went back and forth on that. But then I was like, I don't want to censor that because I want that weight there. I want that to be a learning experience. I want it to be painful. You know, I want it to be painful. Yeah. That word hurts. Now, you know, it. you realize that I hope it jumped out of the page at you. Please don't ever use it. Please don't let anyone you love use it. Please don't let anyone you've talked to use it. Please be an advocate and don't let, allow that to be used because I hope that was a gut punch because it is a gut punch. And every time someone says it and people say it all the time, because we said it all the time as kids and every time, mm -hmm. no matter how you apologize or don't mean to use it. And I say this to my friends that I love. Ouch, you know, ouch. It, it, every time you use it, 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 it guts me, you know, and I'll be like, oh, that's okay. I, I know your heart, you know, but please learn how to erase that word from your vocabulary because it's not a word that should be used, especially when one of the most important people in my entire life, that word is used in a derogatory fashion. The worst thing you can be is this person that I treasure yes. and would run through broken glass for. What a perfect answer. I yeah. love it. I love it. Um, and, you know, I the, the part where you said, I hope it's a gut punch. Um, that's what sticks out to me because I, I feel like you and I are on the same wavelength as far as why that word goes in there, because we would be dis doing a disservice both to ourselves, uh, to anyone we're trying to represent, and to our audience to substitute in a less substantial word, a, a word that wouldn't scar in real life. Um, you know, if you were to put like stupid in there, it's not going to capture the same feeling. It's not going to capture the same essence. It's not going to do what it's supposed to do. And yeah, I feel icky typing that word, but for the effect that for, for what I'm trying to accomplish in the context, that's really all you can do. Right. Feel icky. I mean, you walk through that fire to make that point. It's, it's gross. It's a gross word. And it feels like it's, it's like a sacrifice to say it when it's something so close to our hearts. So I feel that there's bravery in it. So good for you. You That's know, exactly you. why I don't understand writers that say <laughs> you shouldn't use this word or that word. It's I think that's fucking stupid because how else are you going to get your point across? Like to use that, they should be gut punches. Like fiction is supposed to be moving, it's supposed to bridge lives. It's supposed to teach you stuff, you know? And if you're not feeling that, like you said, if someone just says, Oh, the dumb kid, that does not convey the right. horrendous I feeling that you just described. If, if you have ownership of that word, I feel the R word I have ownership of. I, I could never say the N word that has, 
That's not my experience. That's not my place. That's not a word I can throw out there and have that. The R word has been tossed at us. So I feel that I can use that, sure. but I, I can't, you know, take someone else's experience, but yeah, I absolutely don't, don't censor yourself um, to make the audience feel more comfortable. If your point is, I want this to hurt and I want you to think. Yeah. Just stay true to the story, yeah. I guess is my point. Um, for me, darling was a gut punch because I, I mean, I never met my kid, but you know, it sucks. Lost my kid, never can meet them. And uh, your story is just like, really, it was the perfect book to read, I guess, at that point. First off, it's a book that I wanted to read for a few months, I think, at that point, by you. So I wanted to obviously read it. And you, you just write, that's why I called you Morbid Mother. You just got to read the book if you want to know the tone and emotion as to why I say that. Um, I'm not going to talk any more about it because I don't want to spoil anything, but is there anything that you would like uh, potential readers to know about it? Anything else? I I think it's beautiful. I think the main character is not necessarily likable, and I like that about her. I like that she is really broken, and she's she's don't go in there expecting to like her. Um, that's not her role. <laughs> yep. And I think it's important that that female characters especially don't always have to be likable. Because I think that there's kind of a, you know, well, she's got to be likable. and She's got to be sweet. She will, you know, she will cut you if you cross her children. So I think that in itself is likable. But I think it's a really lovely, worthwhile book. And also the, uh, there's a the serial killer character. I would really like to continue with him in something else. Ooh, That's yeah. my goal. He just intrigues me so a lot. You used the word darling in so many different instances. I thought that was pretty neat too. It was like an evolutionary word throughout. Like it, it just keeps evolving. I feel like there's a Chuck Palahniuk thing about that, but I can't put my finger on it. Where basically this image or this item or in this case a word means one thing in the beginning, but then it means something entirely different at the end. I really like how you did that. Thank um, you. Yeah, your your use of wordplay is really uh, so one thing that I like about your writing. Um, Brennan, where would you like to take us? I was just going to throw out there that, you know, you said that uh, she's not necessarily likable. I think likable or unlikable, you carved her out in a way that this is a person who will do <laughs> whatever she has to, to keep going. Um, and, you know, you, you read those arguments about like, oh, well, you know, does fiction need to have a likable character or not? And, you know, I come down on the side of give me interesting over likable, you know, seven days of the week. And the person who, will do whatever it takes to keep on keeping on, you know, and especially when there are others dependent on them, that's a character I want to read about. And I want to understand, you know, what exactly, what lengths they will go to and where that's going to take the story, where that drive and that character trait is going to take the story. So that for that, you know, again, interesting character over, you know, bubbly perfect likable character every day of the week 
Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Brennan, is this the time where you want to go to the outro questions? Yeah, let's do it. Mercedes, what are you currently reading? Oh, um, I just finished re- reading Hatchet. I think we talked about that last one. Um, I am reading because of Winn-Dixie because my daughter's reading it and I'm trying to catch up on what she's saying. And I just finished reading today, The Last Victim by Jason Moss, I believe, who was an 18-year-old that um, interviewed John Wayne Gacy and actually went to saw- see him in prison. And oh, it is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is a hard read. It's fucked up. Yeah. Talk about an unlikable narrator. This kid, like, <laughs> he's the kind of guy you're like, oh my gosh, I had a kid like that in my, uh, in my my college, and he had a briefcase that he made out of bow ties, and he was just so oh, hard yeah. <laughs> to deal with. And that's this kid, but he's doing amazing Ugh. things, and he ended up uh, taking his life later as an adult. So it's, it, it was a really good, really hard read, but it was awesome. Yeah, I saw the movie adaptation of that it's oh really yeah i don't know if i can watch that yeah, it's really reading, fucked just up. reading it on the screen i can't imagine hearing these things in someone's voice yeah john wayne gacy's a piece of shit yeah I'm i hope he's in hell that. if there's a place you're very brave to come out with that uh that intrepid statement That's a hot <laughs> take. you know we're not afraid to say on this show that john wayne gacy not a good person polarizing <laughs> opinion <laughs> You know what? I'm going to take it a step further. Fuck Trump. And that's to clear the air on anyone else that listens and gets confused on my uh, my. Oh, you're going to get us another bad review. (laughs) It wasn't a bad review. Oh, no. I showed Mercedes, I think it was a two-star review, and I'm bringing it up because it's funny as hell. This is an instructional show, uh, in the words of Steve or whatever his name was, but he did not like our agenda on basically... Paraphrasing. Basically, he didn't like that we were anti-Trump or whatever. But he ended by saying, "But it is an instructional show, so it was really confusing. <laughs> mixed <are>. messages. <laughs> <laughs> really mixed messages." Um, yep. <laughs> Brendan, what are you currently reading? Um, I am. I started uh, Usher's Passing uh, by Robert McCammon probably like four months ago, and I was averaging like two pages a month because I just kept getting, you know, bogged down with things I had to read for, you know, the show or reviews or whatever. And I, I finally, uh, you know, gotten back into that and I'm about halfway through it. Uh, it's, it's Robert McCann and Cameron is just so, he's so good. Um, it's so, I mean, it's kind of like, it's got that Southern Gothic tinge to it, you know, this kind of old, um, well-regarded Southern family with, you know, this big spit of land and this, uh, kind of, um, shady past, um, and the town that surrounds them, you know, trying to uncover it. It's just, it's, it's just one of those stories you can kind of get lost in that you can, you can, it just envelops you. Um, so I'm going to really try hard to not walk away from that again for four months. Uh, I'm also about to start this one, Curse of the Reaper by Brian McAuley. Um, it is Hollywood horror, kind of like a meta type slasher, think like Scream, um, or at least that's my understanding because I haven't read one page of it, but I am really looking forward to it. He uh, sent me a <laughs> copy just this week. <laughs> Patrick, how about you? Um, so I just started 
The Shaft by David J. Scow. And uh, like, I just started it. It's, I, I can't really say how I feel about it yet. And I'm also tell reading. us everything about it. <laughs> all David of it. J. Scow wrote it. it uh, I'm also, all things. <laughs> that's all the things for now. I'm also <laughs> reading Ill Will by Dan Sean. And I, I like it. It's the format for some of the chapters were weird. It's like the chapters broken into dialogue. Hmm. Like this chapter cuts here, then B, then C picks up, but they all kind of blend together. And it's really picking up. I'm about an hour in because I'm pretty much listening to only audible books. And um, it, it's weird. There's a bunch of people dying by drowning they think it's a killer uh it's happened over the course of years um i don't know where it's gonna go and there is a bunch of the the cast is pretty big uh so yeah that's about i heard from this guy named mark saber and i bring him up because at scares at care um there were these two guys mark saber and this guy named uh, uh jim marshall and they are super knowledgeable about like a bunch of older books, and they would sell all these paperbacks. Um, and he said, This is the scariest book that I've ever read. And he was just kind of pushing it on anyone he could, like in a in a fun way. So uh yeah, I'm I'm finally figuring out why. I haven't found <laughs> out why yet, but I'm hoping that I get really freaked out. <laughs> it's on the horizon. Although tiptoe scary bend wrong guy yeah no that's uh, it that's squeaky voiced yeah yeah that one's teeny tiny feet <laughs> thanks i'd kind of like put it out of my head but no, no, he, he lives there he, he licks the inside of your head at night brennan oh, <laughs> i watch he goes in inter- through your mouth <laughs> holy shit i watched <laughs> watch nope. this interview with alfred hitchcock and he said that the reason why like western bar scenes because keep in mind this is in the 60s i believe so that they were westerns were pretty big back then um that the reason why those aren't so uh they don't pull the audience in like um psycho does because you're just seeing like different stuff break but with psycho you're getting close up of the face you've seen the feet like you're getting focal points of of as if you're there um Brain fart. I really. What, what the fuck was I talking about? Sorry. Alfred Hitchcock. No, before that, man. Tiptoe shadow looking inside Brennan's face. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> You're All welcome. Right. Wow. I guess help that helped. <laughs> yeah, you guys helped me out with the ADHD moment. Okay. So, like Hitchcock, that is exactly what you described, or your little girl described their Mercedes. Just like focal points, things that you. Just like there's, they don't go together. The juxtaposition of of tiny feet bends wrong and just seems very tall, and it's just like none of that adds up. That's why it's creepy because it shouldn't exist, but it does probably exist. Oh, well, that's the book I'm writing the sequel to again. So that's the one I'm working on now is more of that. That's amazing. Well, it's the sensory stuff too. Like I'm gonna be in bed tonight, and I'm gonna like brush my ear against the pillow, and my heart's gonna <laughs> stop. All right. So, where can people follow you, Mercedes? I am on Twitter at, at @MercedesMY. My uh, 
My website is www.mercedesmyardley.com. That's probably the best place. Gmail, mercedesyardley.gmail.com and Mercedes Murdoch Yardley on Facebook. And Instagram is at MercedesMY. Where can people follow you, Brennan LaFaro? They can't. They just have to go to Amazon and buy my book. <laughs> they and just have can... to lick inside his head and just find out where he is. Like exactly. If wax. you buy the book and you turn to the About the Author section, it will tell you where you can follow me. You're very stubborn tonight. You can follow me at PR McDonough on pretty much any platform or the show at Dead Headspace. Um, you can also follow Brennan at Brennan LaFaro. <laughs> Rude. You just cost me like three book sales. <laughs> Mercedes, what do you have any final thoughts? My brain don't work so well tonight. <laughs> no, I am just so delighted to be here with you, gentlemen. This is I've been looking forward to this. I just I love your faces. I love spending time with you guys and talking books and social issues and serious things and funny things. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, that seems to be what we always do. We love talking to you, too. And it's pretty cool because like when we first had you on and now we the friendship purely has grown. I cannot talk. Maybe that baby gate that hit my head earlier really did mess up some some circuitry up there. You know, I um had a I hit my head a long a while ago and had a concussion and it really screwed me up for a while. So don't don't feel bad. Like I would try to get my phone <laughs> number and I'd give like my social security number and <laughs> I couldn't count good. down backwards <laughs> unless I close my eyes. So don't you might you might be screwed up and that's okay. We love you. Oh well, I love you too, Brennan. <laughs> <laughs> And you too, Mercedes. Let me give you my social security number. <laughs> hey, you want my credit card number? It is. <laughs> <laughs> my final thoughts are, uh, Brennan, you look great with your lipstick. No, I'm just kidding. That joke's not funny anymore. <laughs> but um, no, Mercedes, we love having you on. Love talking to you. Brennan, it's been a pleasure. Um, Twitter might be, or I guess not around tomorrow. I think it's still going to be around. I mean, Elon Musk might eventually run it to the ground, but I don't think it'll be tomorrow. Man, what a what a lovely representation of how money doesn't make you smart <laughs> <laughs> is he seriously the richest man in the world because i keep hearing that no, no uh, he's not that. he's not rich in smarts <laughs> i mean that's what i've heard but yeah. i i actually liked the guy for a while i found him interesting but now i think he's a fucking idiot and yeah. I, I, I loved when he hosted saturday night live it could have been funny. I just think that he's an asshole. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubts there. But it was it was funny. I love just watching him just robot his way through. And I was like, oh, <laughs> he does talk like a robot. Though. Brandon, final thoughts, sir. Uh, you know, Mercedes, we love having you on. And it's this beautiful balance of knowing what to expect and not knowing what to expect. You know, we know we're going to have a great conversation. We know it's going to be even more important than a great conversation. It's going to be a comfortable conversation. Um, if not because of the topics, because it's you. Um, and yet we never quite know where it's going to go. Um, so, you know, as long as this show runs, you have a home here, whether it's as a guest, as a guest host, or as a panel member. So we hope to talk to you many more times. Thank you. And I get to have, hopefully, a live conversation with you next year at Horror on Main in Yay! Maryland. 
And hopefully uh, our tables will be next to each other or close. That would be awesome. I'm a, I got a table in the promenade section. That's right next to where you and Ronald Kelly will be. So I'm not going to be in the same room. Um, yeah, but I'm excited. I get to do a live interview with you and hopefully Ronald Kelly. Who if Did you, you get shoved away this, in the podcast room? Is there like a special room for podcasters? Um, no, I don't know. Brain don't work so well right now. There's <laughs> details that I remember, but some of them are crossed. So I think it's just right. that I'm tired. I'll ask too. you when you're not concussed. <laughs> right now, you definitely have like cartoon birds circling your head, making silly noises. <laughs> I want to ask him all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Who, like I want to ask the all birds. the questions right now. <laughs> so next week, uh, it'll just be me, episode 176. I will be talking with an artist named Crywolf. If you don't know who he is, look him up. It's not the horror movie. He's not a horror musician, but he's got a book coming out, and he's got some interesting stuff to talk about. He does like art, too. So... That's my connection there. Um, you have interest in podcasts. Thank you for picking us. And Brennan, I'll always pick you. Okay, now sing the bodyguard song. <laughs> I don't know if that is. Oh, you do. I <laughs> will always love you. <laughs> Ooh.